0: Do me a favor, turn your Bibles to 1 John 4. It's in the back of your Bibles. If you go to the very last book of Revelation, just turn back a few books, you'll find it. A series of letters there, 1 through Third John. We'll be in 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12 this morning on this third Sunday of Advent as we look at the topic of love. Specifically, what is it? Why, why do we all long for it? What are some of Uh, The counterfeits of love that we find ourselves so often going after. And then how does Christ in his coming, which is what Advent means, not only fulfill those longings, but continue them through us as his church. Those are some of the things that we are going to examine today. But first, since we are dropping into this passage, I just want to quickly set up the book of First John, which is a book that was penned by the Apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples who's often referred to, interestingly enough, as the one that Jesus loved. And he pens this series of letters specifically to the churches in Ephesus and the surrounding areas at that time, which was likely around 85 to 90 AD. And that's important only because then we're about 50 years after Christ's coming, his death and his resurrection and his ascension. And it had become distance enough in time that many teachers were actually proclaiming that Christ never really came and that even if he did, he was not really the true son of God. And the implications for that are severe because if he was not the true son of God, then the true love of God was not made manifest to us and is not in us and we therefore have no assurance. And so what John writes to these churches and to us who believe in Christ as the son of God is so that we would know that we have eternal life, that we would know that the love of God was indeed made manifest as promised to us in Christ, and that it is both for you and in you. So how do we know? Well, let's look at today's text. We, uh, we don't do this very often, but would you stand with me this morning in participation of the reading of God's word? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And his love is perfected in us this is the word of the Lord Church praise be to God you can be seated well the year was uh, it was 1993 I don't really remember it all that much because I was uh, I was three Um, sorry if that makes any of you feel old in here Even if you don't remember 93, you still likely remember the song that came out that year by an artist named Hathaway, a song that became even more famous by the 1998 movie Night at the Roxbury. All right, A few of you I see are doing the head thing out there. And the the title of that song and the chorus is What is Love? What, What is love? It's a question that is universally asked and sought after, everyone desires love. And think about the countless songs that have been written over the years, from Foreigners, I Want to Know What Love Is, to The Beatles, All You Need Is Love, and now you guys know what kind of music I like to listen to. Guys, all the media that's been produced around the idea Of love over the years we are in the pinnacle of Hallmark Christmas movie season and there's not a single one of those that doesn't have some crazy love story in it somehow always the same one almost always about some city girl who moves to the country to try to do it on her own and she falls in love with some good-looking guy in a tight flannel I don't know we (laughs) we we all know that story I can say this because she's not in here this morning she's serving in kids My wife lived that story. (laughs) And these flannels, they just keep getting tighter and tighter. I do not know what is wrong with our washing machine, but something is going on. Is that what love is? Is it some just mushy feeling of nostalgia that just brings light to your eyes and warmth into your stomach? Is it a, uh, man, just a depending on how you're feeling that day kind of emotion? I think if we're honest with ourselves, the answer to that question for us is often yes. The type of love that we so often think about and go after is all those things. It's the type of love sung about in all those songs and shown in those horribly written Hallmark movies. It's It's a love that most often is reliant on what we find to be someone's or something else's loveliness. I mean, let's be really honest here. Those of you that are married, I really doubt that, like, one night when you were dating, you sat down and you looked across the table at each other and you just said, I just don't see anything in you to be lovely at all. Would you like to spend the rest of your life with me? Like, that's just not it. No, our our falling in love was based on the things that we found To be lovely in them. Now, God, by His grace, He has hopefully redeemed and deepened the love that we have for them, but nonetheless, we still fell in love because we found something in them to be lovely, didn't we? Now, I'm not saying that that is wrong or even necessarily sinful, but that is not the type of love that we are talking about today. That type of love can be had by anyone, not just Christians, which is who John is addressing here. I'm confident that we all know someone that, man, doesn't profess Christ, meaning they have never repented of their sin, they've never confessed Christ as their Savior, that we would say still loves their spouse, still loves their kids and their friends and their things and their hobbies. I want to make that distinction to begin to reframe our thoughts on the type of love that we are talking about this morning. John is talking about a love that goes beyond that of which we just find to be lovely. A love that is not based on the condition of even any of your own loveliness, but rather a love that comes from the very nature of who God is. So what does that love look like? Let's look back at the text, verse seven there. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. There's two things that I want to focus in on there. Right at the beginning of verse 7 and then the end of verse 8. John says, love is from God and God is love. Now when John says that love is from God, or another way to say that is God has given us love, he's not talking about giving something in the same way that we would give something. All right? Like Like when you guys give all those gifts away that you've been collecting this Christmas to all those people, and I'm really praying that I'm one of those, guess what? You are no longer going to have those gifts. They're no longer going to be in your possession. This is not the way that God has given his love to us. He hasn't lost possession of it in his giving. Why? because John tells us there, because he is love. He is the very source of love. He wants to connect the two of these things to say that God has given us love, not just as a thing, but as his very nature, right? Kind of like how how water makes things wet or a fireplace puts off heat. You You just expect that, right? Nobody is surprised when you step in a puddle and it soaks through your shoe. You're angry, but you're not surprised. It's water. That's that's what it does. That's its nature. You're not taken aback when you come in from the cold and you stand next to your fireplace and it warms you up. That's fire. It's it's what it does. The same way you can expect love to be loving, to radiate love, to soak through with love. It's love. That's its nature. So this is John's call to the beloved, those who have that same nature now in them. Let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Man, that love is not a pre-existing condition to that new birth that John is speaking of here. He's not saying that if anyone just has love for someone, that makes you a Christian. Rather, he's saying, God's love being shown in and through you is the natural result of being born of God. It's, it's the litmus test, if you will, for knowing that you are related to him, which is what it means to know God. All right, I have two young boys. I think that's one of them screaming right now. If, if you've seen them, you can tell by looking at them that they belong to my wife and I, because they look like us. Now it's, It's not because they try their hardest to imitate looking like my wife and I that makes them look like us. It's because they have our DNA. They they are born of us. They have our nature. This is what John is saying. All right, church, you are not just viewing and then imitating God's love. You're not just trying to recreate the heat of that fireplace. That fire is in you and it should be coming out of you. Now, you're probably thinking, man, that doesn't, really answer the question, though, about the kind of love that John is talking about here. John is talking about a love that goes beyond the thoughts and the feelings and the emotions that we have towards the things and the people that we just find to be lovely. John is talking about the continual self-sacrificing act of love, specifically for the better of another. And even more specific those who are completely undeserving of that kind of love this is the love of God David Allen professor and theologian says God did not fall in love with us we are sinners and there was nothing to fall in love with in us God does not love us on the conditions of who we are but because of who he is let me explain why that is such good news because Only a love that you've done nothing to gain is a love that you can do nothing to lose. All right, let me say that again. Only a love that you've done nothing to gain is a love that you can do nothing to lose. Maybe some of you have experienced a type of love in your life that was only based on what you provided to the other person. So maybe you've heard things like, I'll love you when you do this. Or if you loved me, you would do that. Maybe, maybe the love you've been shown has always been conditioned in those ways. Or maybe you grew up only ever hearing that you were loved when you accomplished something great. And so now you go to any length to just live a life that appears successful and attractive because you honestly believe that's the only way for you to experience love. This is not the love of God, nor is it the love his people Ought to have, and this is not how he has shown his love to us. So, how then does God show his love to us? Well, let's look back at verse 9, chapter 4, verse 9 there. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. God's love is made manifest in Christ. The birth of Christ was the beginning of a new birth for us and what would soon be God's nature of love restored in us who have trusted in his son. Look with me, if you would, at how John begins this letter. If you just flip back a few pages to John 1, 1 John 1. He says this about Christ. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son, God didn't just create something or someone new to bring us his love. It would not have had what we needed to restore in us that was broken by us. We didn't need just anything or anyone to restore to us God's love. We needed God himself. The one who was with him from the beginning. Why? Chapter 4, verse 10 there, to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, this requires a bit of backstory, and I can't give you the whole story of creation this morning because that would be a whole another sermon. But just listen to these words in Genesis 3:8. You don't need to turn there. It says, they, meaning Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The perfect love of God that he created us in and for in the beginning was traded through Adam and Eve, our very first mother and father for fear and shame and what was to be rightful blame now for all of humanity and the sinful nature that we would all take on. Here's where we get to the root of the condition that we are in and why we need God's love to be restored in us. God and his love created us to enjoy him forever, to dwell in loving harmony with him forever. This is the ultimate purpose of all of his creation. But we chose to abuse that love and we went after our own desires. We chose to love ourselves more than God. This is, this is the very essence of sin. Here's where the beauty of the gospel and God's love becomes so glorious. Remember, we, we sinned against him. We are the offender, not the other way around. Would it not make sense then that we should be the ones to pursue reconciliation? I mean when you are at the grocery store and that person who's not paying attention bumps into you with their cart yeah like a good little midwesterner you're going to say oops sorry but you you know who's at fault don't you and it is man it's perfectly acceptable for you to wait for them to apologize it's their fault is it not God did not wait on us to restore the love that we abandoned, a love that we and all of humanity have shown time and a time again that we don't want to restore anyway. God has made a way through himself to restore his love to us. And this is love not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Why does John need to say that? Why does he need to say not that we have loved God? Why didn't he just say God has loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin? Because that's how sinful we are, that the propensity of our own heart is to go, it's my love, it's my desires, it's what I've done that saves me. What John wants to make sure is that we know that we would never choose to love God on our own church. It's his love for us that saved us, not the other way around. And he has done this in himself through Christ, who is the propitiation for our sin, who paid for all that rebellion that I just laid out. Man, propitiation is a big word, but it just means to appease someone's wrath, specifically God's wrath towards our sinfulness. God is righteously and justly angry at us in our sinfulness. Listen, because you need to hear this. His love is so great that he makes a way without diminishing his righteousness, his justice, or his love, and he does this by sacrificing himself, his son. His very nature that was with him from the beginning is given for the creation that rebelled against him. What amazing love is that? Not because of any conditions of our own loveliness that we had, but sheerly based on his. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the kind of love that we've been shown. This is the kind of love that we've been grafted into. And this is the kind of love John is saying then in verse 11 ought to flow from us and look at verse 12 with me first John 4 it says no one has ever seen God if we love one another God abides in us and his love is perfected in us and let me say that another way we can know God abides in us and his love is being perfected in us, meaning accomplishing what it came to do when we love one another. Man, to just sit and think about that is, is kind of mind-boggling. And I know because I sat and thought about it a lot this week. It's hard to wrap our minds around the possibility of the reality of that truth. I think it's supposed to be. Because John doesn't just say to sit and think about loving one another, he says, let us love one another, let us do it. Theologian James K.A. Smith, in his book, Desiring the Kingdom, says, God's love is not something that can be understood and then practiced, it can only be understood to those it's been given by practice. Say that again, God's love is not something that can be understood and then practiced, it can only be understood to those it's been given by practice. So how do we do that? How do we practice it? How can we know that God abides in us and that his love is being perfected in us? Remember, that's, that's the point of this text, that we may know, that we may know that God abides in us. Here are a few ways I'm gonna be hitting A lot of scripture here, so don't feel like you have to turn with with me to everyone. We can know that God abides in us and that his love is being perfected in us by pointing out and rejoicing in the things that have become more sanctified in one another. Man, the things that God is making to be more like Christ and therefore actually lovely in us. Hebrews 10 24 says, let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Man, when you see something in another Christian that God has grown them in, celebrate it. Encourage them in it. Don't don't withhold it from them. It might be something they don't even know that they've experienced growth in. It may be the very encouragement that they need to hear that reminds them that God's love is in them and that he is working through them. Encourage one another. Man, another way we can know God abides in us and his love is being perfected in us is by forgiving one another when the things that are still being sanctified in us hurt one another. This one's little harder. Ephesians 4, Paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Man, over the last couple years, we've been in kind of a pressure cooker of opportunity to see some of the ugliest and the most sinful parts of ourselves come out. Let us be known as a loving and a forgiving people, church. Bear with one another. Man, be patient with one another. Seek forgiveness, seek peace. Seek reconciliation. This is what God has done for you and this is his love in you and it covers a multitude of sins. Lastly, we can know God abides in us and his love is being perfected in us by loving those who do not yet know God. And what does that look like? Well, firstly, They should see it in those first two things I just gave to you. Man, the world is watching, church. They see the ways in which we treat one another. Are they seeing the love of God or are they seeing a love that's just like every other love they've experienced in their life? Let's show the love that we have for one another. Here are Jesus' words to us written by John in his gospel account in chapter 13. Jesus says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So let's start there. Secondly, listen to what Paul says in Titus chapter 3 to the church. He says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration of the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Show the love of God towards those who don't know God by being gentle towards them. Man, when you are out at that restaurant and that waiter, man, brings you the wrong drink or man, your food comes late, be gentle towards him. Be God-loving. Don't be an American. Be a Christian in that moment. Be ready for every good work. Think of ways to serve them. Man, some of you took part over this last couple weeks in um, Christmas in Ashland and associated charities. I don't know how many of those gifts are going to go to unsaved people. None of us do, but there's a chance that they are. Man, what a great way for us to serve our community, those who might not yet know God. And the last one I'm going to touch there, and some of you really need to listen to this. Avoid quarreling with them in person, on social media, all of it. Remember the love that you've been given. Reflect On your complete need for it. Don't lose sight of the great love and the lengths that God went to to give you his love. And let that love lead you in compassion and love for those who are living in bondage to the things that you too once were. That's what they need. That's what we need. Man, I saw this post on Facebook a few days ago This is where we'll end our time together. And it said this, this Advent, let's not gather around the name of Jesus while ignoring the ways of Jesus, which is the way of love. Love your not so lovely neighbor. Remember the poor. Care for the prisoner and the afflicted and the wounded. Feed the hungry. Welcome the outcast and the stranger. Deliver the oppressed and the marginalized by doing justice in love. Why? Because this is what God in love has done for each of us and he waits for us there. Let's do these things together, church. Let me encourage you that as you do, you are not just doing them from a place of doing. But a place of has been done because you are not just a mere imitation of God's love church. You are his sons and his daughters who have his very nature of love restored in you, which has been manifest through Christ for you and by his spirit is being carried out in you. This is the love that came to us at Advent. And this is the love that is continuing and being perfected in us and will one day Be made complete. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I'm uh, reminded of the words uh, that we sang this morning. Now, that in love, before you even laid the world's foundation, you predestined to adopt us as your own. What great love! Thank you for Christ. May he is that love made manifest to us, the love that lived a perfect life of obedience that we could never died a death to put our sin to death and was raised to life so that we could be given new life. And in that new birth, you have, by your spirit, placed your very nature of love in us and restored to us what we had broken not because of any of our own loveliness or goodness, but completely based on your own. And this is the glorious news of the gospel. And in it and it alone is all hope and peace and love and joy for you restored. So thank you, Father, for your love. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.